Voyage. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now, and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. MintMobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45, equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. My name is Lila Holly. I retired a Chief Warrant Officer 4 in the U.S. Army, and I was a military intelligence technician. And now I collect stories of female veterans. Well, when I retired from the military after 22 years of active duty service, I took note of how women veterans were being portrayed in the media, in different news reports, especially during Veterans Day celebrations, the advertisements and the promotions. And the truth is we were not being portrayed accurately or at all. What I noticed the most was that it was not us on our stories, but others who took it upon themselves to tell the stories of the military women and the women veterans. So I heard stories of down and out women veterans, down on their luck, stuck between a rock and a hard place from these different outlets. You know, the stories of sexual assault and abuse while in the military, the dire homeless problem among women veterans, and so much more sad news stories. Not to say that these issues and stories don't affect us, they do. But that's not the whole story, and that's not the only story of military women and women veterans that should be told. So I began to think, who's telling our story? There is no one better equipped to tell these stories than the women who lived them. And in 2014, 2015, we began, we began the process of publishing and releasing our very first book. There weren't many books out there written by military women to begin with. So I was pretty proud of the work that we had created and the spot that we were taking in history to tell these stories. Camouflage Sisters is uh, just more than books. It's really a sisterhood of women, women veterans. And I always say in the interviews that creating it was kind of selfish on my part because it was something that I needed most in my life when I transitioned from the military. And it's because of the Army family that I left and how important they were in um, my life. I recall a moment especially, probably the toughest time in my life and really the determining factor that drew me to know that it was time to retire after 22 years. And that was when I went into early labor during my pregnancy with my twin girls. I was 22 weeks pregnant and I ended up in the emergency room after the prompting of one of my coworkers who was also pregnant. I was telling her that I didn't feel right that day and just some things were going on. I gave her some of my symptoms and she said, you need to go to the emergency room. Just make sure 
you know, you're okay. And at her prompting, I told her, I promised her that I would go to make sure everything was okay with me and the babies. So I did. And so I'm in the emergency room and then the nurses are talking with me. And and as soon as they put the monitor up to my belly and I saw the image on the screen, I I knew, you know, I, I just knew. Um, they explained to me that I was in full-blown labor and my babies were birth one of my babies was birthing. She was in the canal ready to come out. They also said a word that was not familiar to me. They said that the babies would, if I gave birth, that the babies would not be liable, viable. I didn't know what that meant and I asked, what what does that even mean? What does that mean? Please explain. Um, and she explained. She said, if not if, but when, <laughs> when you give birth. Uh, we will not introduce any life-saving techniques because the babies are too small. And at 22 weeks, um, they, they won't survive outside of the womb. Uh, as you can imagine, this was devastating news to hear because me and my husband, I mean, we tried so hard to get pregnant again and we actually went through IVF to conceive these twins. I could just feel my heart start breaking even now, as I recall the moment, uh, those words were told to me. So over the course of the next 96 hours, I gave birth to my two girls, Janae and Jasmine, and I held them and watched them take their first breath. And I also watched them take their last breath as I wanted to take my last breath. My heart, like I said, it broke into a million pieces and I didn't know, I really didn't know what I was going to do at that moment, you know, how I was going to move forward. And then just, you know, jumping forward and thinking about going back to work. I, I, you know, everybody was so excited about the pregnancy with me and my husband and just, um, you know, just thinking about going back to work and the looks that I will re receive and, you know, the disappointment that everybody would have on their face, you know, the sadness. It was hard to even imagine facing that. But I did. I mustered up the strength and I went back to work after my convalescence leave was over. And one day while sitting in the office, I received a piece of mail. It was handwritten and addressed to me directly. I thought it was strange, but I opened it up and I looked inside and I pulled out a very nice card expressing sorrow and, and wishing me well wishes in my time of sorrow and mourning. And um, as I opened it up and started reading the names, I re recognized that it was a group of warrant officers that were deployed to Afghanistan at the time. And I thought it really touched my heart because I thought to myself, wow, they took time out of their, you know, in their <laughs> deployment to send me a card and wish me well at a time when they were in danger themselves. They were in combat. Who wouldn't miss a family like this? Who wouldn't miss a community that wraps their arms around you in your most needed time? And that's what the Army family was for me. And that's why I miss them so much. We've covered so much in our seven published books with 110 co-authors and our eighth book is set to be released later this year with 14 additional co-authors. Nothing was off limits and these women left it all on the pages. We've covered tough topics such as the challenges of serving in the military as a black woman, surviving military assault, military sexual assault and harassment, surviving domestic violence while serving in the military, toxic leadership, and fighting for what you earn as a woman in the military. 
parenting in the military, either as a single parent or dual military. We cover the topics of PTSD, depression, self-worth, and other mental health challenges that women face. And we also covered hiding one's sexuality while serving in a don't ask, don't tell military. And so many more topics we've covered. It is truly a beautiful depiction of the types of women who serve in and support our nation's military. These are their words, their stories, full of challenges, struggles, and inspiration. Again, I'm so proud of the work that we've put together. There is definitely power in numbers. And having such an array of stories is truly eye-opening to those who read our books. I can't tell you how often I've heard, I was not aware that happened in the military. I've heard this a lot when it comes to women sharing their challenges with domestic violence. Here's one example in the words of a female veteran survivor of domestic violence of her own experience. During the roughest phase of our marriage, I was mentally, verbally, emotionally, and physically abused. It started in Fort Jackson, South Carolina, where I attended basic training. There were many things about military life I was already accustomed to before my first stay. What made things even smoother for me was my prior involvement in athletics. I was in great shape, very conditioned, and I understand the concept and principles of teamwork, character, hard work, and persistence. After basic training and successfully completing advanced individual training, AIT, I went to my first permanent duty station. This was a turning point in my life. I married a man I met in AIT and on the surface we had so much in common. We were both young and jumped right into marriage with no counseling. We moved forward in marriage because we just knew we loved each other and wanted to be together. Although I had seen a great example of marriage through my parents, I wasn't properly equipped for my marriage covenant. Everything was based on impulsive emotional feeling. I know now that my husband and I were unequally yoked and the Bible I follow strictly warns against this. But I saw great qualities in this man. After being married for a short period of time, the problems began. And it was a battle from the start to keep our marriage. My supervisor and his supervisor sent us to a mandatory meeting for military couples experiencing domestic violence. I equate the program to placing a band-aid on a broken leg. The daily meetings for a week did not work for us. There were many times I tolerated the abuse due to fear of retaliation. You see, my husband was very popular in our military unit. I know now that this was not an adequate excuse, but it was mine at the time. Another piece of advice to all young couples going through any kind of abuse, open your mouth and tell someone, do not keep quiet. No matter how much you want to protect your career or someone else's career in the military, it's just not worth it. I was extremely miserable and depressed. My perception of marriage was totally different than what I was experiencing. It left me in a very bad place. It was difficult having to go to work with all this baggage and hurt, but I managed to put a smile on my face and pretend that everything was okay, which was extremely unhealthy for me. After birthing two beautiful children and transitioning into life as a military wife, I hid what was going on in my tumultuous household. 
This is a survival tool many spouses use in order to avoid negatively impacting our spouse's military career. My last and final straw was the feeling that death was inevitable. I feared I would not survive the outcome of the battle that was taking place in our home. So I finally reached out to his first sergeant, who did not handle the problem appropriately. He just swept it under the rug. It was apparent he was trying to protect my husband. Domestic violence needs to be dealt with in a timely and efficient manner in every situation, but especially in a situation such as mine. The first sergeant told me my husband could close quarters, terminate our housing agreement to live on post, and put us, his family, out, and there was nothing he could do for me. I could not believe this first sergeant just told me my husband could put me and my children out in the streets and he would not intervene. How could he condone this behavior? What he did not know was that I was former military and I knew there was help for me on post. I was not going to settle for that response. I dialed the unit commander's number. Well. That was the number I thought I'd call, but before he even got his full name out, I stated with bold conviction, if my body is found in the hospital morgue, just know I reached out for help. I was in desperate need of help now, and all I could think of as I stated those words was our last encounter and thinking the next time, one of us will not make it out alive, knowing that someone would likely be me. I knew I had to do something drastic. We had two small children and all that was going through my mind was if I die, who will raise my children? What a horrific thought. The man on the other side of the phone was not the company commander, but the brigade commander. I truly believe God intervened and connected me to the top of the chain of command as my previous attempts to get help from my spouse's immediate leadership ended with no results. He asked me a few questions and I shared with him what had transpired and that the first sergeant did not do anything about it. The commander said, you don't have to worry, I will handle this matter, please hold the line. A few minutes later, he came back on the line and stated, I have everyone I need on the line to go forward with what will take place from this moment on. The commander had the first sergeant, the company commander and my husband on the line and ordered them to stand at attention throughout the phone call. He was firm and straight to the point requiring yes or no answers only. Then he asked my husband, do you wish to close quarters? My husband responded with yes, sir. And the commander laid out the orders for them to follow and carry out immediately. Now, my husband had the financial responsibility to pay for us to live off post. I was very thankful for his leadership and quickness in handling a very serious matter. I will never forget how the commander showed excellent leadership that day. I have patterned my leadership to this day after him. I thank God for the commander. He was my angel. Thank you, sir. My phone call to you changed my life and I am grateful. Although we divorced, I still wanted the children to have a relationship with their father. No child should have to grow up without their father. So I made sure their relationship continued just in separate households. The children were never in harm's way physically, but this was not a healthy environment for them to grow up in. We decided to be cordial and work together to give our children the absolute best. He has done a great job being actively involved in their lives. 
His love for his children was never in question. And that will never change. In retrospect, I wish the military had pre-marital classes for new soldiers wanting to wed. Most likely, that would have made a difference. If I had to give advice to a young couple who desired to marry while in the military, it would be seek wise counsel, submit to pre- and post-marital counseling, and sit down with your pastor. These are important prerequisites before marriage. I believe everything happens for a divine purpose and reason. God makes no mistakes, and in the end, He causes all things to work together for the good. That's what God certainly did for me. In closing, realize that your destiny shall not be denied. I would like to encourage everyone, especially wounded and abused women, that you can overcome it all. Your setback was nothing more than a setup for the greatest comeback in your life. It is your time, your turn, and your season. Now walk in it and be free. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. As you can imagine, domestic violence is that nasty little secret that the military has yet to figure out how to resolve and know Not all women who serve in the military have been sexually harassed or assaulted. That's another myth that we really want to shatter. I also chose to share my transition from the military and my struggle with depression and adapting to life after my military career. I felt this was important to cover and really be transparent about because a lot of veterans suffer in silence during their transition. They struggle to process the emotions that come with leaving the military and creating a life outside of the uniform. In my second Camouflage Sisters book, Silent No More, in my chapter titled, Find Your True Self, I share that depression was not something that I could just shake off. I recall my first visit to a mental health counselor's office and struggling to answer the simple question, who is Lila? My response was chief, leader, soldier. My counselor quickly corrected me. That's who Lila was. Who is Lila now that Lila has taken off the uniform and picked up the title retired veteran? Hmm, good question, I responded, trying to buy myself more time to come up with an appropriate response. I soon found myself crying and talking about 15-year-old pregnant Lila who struggled with self-esteem issues. What the hell, I thought. Apparently, I had some unresolved issues. Although mild, my truth was that I was dealing with depression. I go on in the book and talk about other challenges and triggers I experienced during my transition. I finish off the chapter sharing tools that helped me push through this challenging time in my life. I was relieved to hear my counselor say that I would be all right. And the tools that I had already implemented by the time I went to visit her had me on the right path. She assured me that I would make it through this struggle. This chapter was really tough to write but I felt like such a weight had been lifted off of me when I wrote it. I beat myself up as I was going through this challenging time in my life. 
I beat myself up for missing the military, not being able to shake off the sadness and push through the emotions. Sharing this truth put me in a very vulnerable, uncomfortable place, a place the military does not prepare veterans for. We're taught to be strong, resilient, tough, to push through. As you know, that doesn't always work and you need a little help. Sometimes you just need to know that you're not alone. You're not the only one struggling with something. And that's what our books do for other women veterans. It lets them know that they are not alone in their struggle. That type of sisterhood in the military also means when we lose someone, it's like losing a family member. Here's another true story written by a female veteran in her own words about that type of experience. I joined the 183rd PSC. That was my unit, and we were family. Just like with any family, some members form a closer bond than others. We were called tent number one. The females in this tent formed an unbreakable sisterly bond. On Sunday, March 3rd, 1991, one of my sisters, my friend, went to church. Afterwards, she told us all about how she had found Jesus and that she was getting baptized the following Sunday. <laughs> she was so excited. She wrote a letter home to her parents telling them how she found Jesus and how happy she was. She asked me to proofread the letter. I told her that it sounded great, but I advised her to take the part out how she would be home for her birthday because we didn't know when we were going home. Her birthday was April 26th. The next Sunday, March 10th, was the day of her baptism. All of her closest friends were seated on the front row. She had this glow about her. <laughs> I had never seen someone actually glow before. I felt like that glow was Jesus all up and through her. After the ceremony, people who had come to support her formed a long line to hug her. I didn't get in the line, and afterwards she asked me why. I said, I can hug you anytime. We sleep in the same tent. We left the ceremony and took a picture with her in front of the mess hall, also the church, where she was just baptized. Our commander asked my friend if she wanted to go take some supplies to the rest of our unit, closer to Kuwait. Referring to me, she said, I'll go if she goes. <laughs> I agreed, thinking that if she didn't want to go at all, she would have just said it. So we all loaded up onto this two-and-a-half-ton truck headed towards Kuwait, less than an hour after she was baptized. We just talked for what seemed like hours. Everyone else must have been asleep. We talked about some of everything. We talked of having a big party when we returned home. She even asked me why I wore that ragged scarf. I told her that it belonged to my mother, who had just passed a few years earlier, so it had sentimental value to me. We returned to the truck. She and I had been trading spaces back and forth between the floor and the bench. This was her time to go on the bench, and I was on the floor beside her. I told her that I was afraid to fall asleep because I felt like that large grill would fall on me. It was a large charcoal grill. We were taking it to our troops and it was in the bed of the truck that we were in. She said, it's going to fall as long as you think about it. <laughs> Minutes later, I, I must have dozed off. I heard a loud noise and then I, I felt something hit my head. That night is very vague to me and I only remember bits and pieces. I was standing over my friend as she held the bottom of my leg. She kept telling me that she was dying. 
I told her she wasn't dying and we still had to have that welcome party that we just discussed. I was shaking tremendously. Another soldier who suffered a serious injury to her leg said, Whoever is on the truck shaking, can they please keep still? I was no more than 125 pounds and I had a two and a half ton truck shaking. We treated my friend for shock. We splinted the other soldier's leg with my mother's scarf. An ambulance finally arrived on the scene and transported my friend and the other injured soldier to the hospital. They tried to get me to go, but I refused. This was a very small truck and I am claustrophobic. Besides, I couldn't imagine how my unit would ever find me because I didn't know exactly where they'd be taking us. Nope, no thanks. I'll just continue to ride toward Kuwait. Our vehicle was still drivable and after they were taken away in the ambulance, we had to continue the mission. As we returned to the truck, I heard someone say, don't let her go to sleep. I was slapped and pushed for what seemed like hours to keep me from falling asleep. We arrived at our location and informed everyone of the accident. A large tractor trailer was carrying a tank. We were in the right-hand lane going in the opposite direction. We were driving as far to the right as we could without driving in the sand because the oncoming vehicles were so close. The tractor was very large and moving at a high rate of speed. The vehicle never even slowed down after it hit us. We think our vehicle was hit by the knobs on the tank. We were informed that the injured soldier had a broken leg and would be flown to Germany. Everything was quiet. Just stone silence. Now I and my bright 21-year-old mind figured that since he didn't tell us about my friend who he knew was closest to us, there must have been a real problem. I didn't want to ask the question. How is she? I felt like if I didn't hear it, it wasn't true. One of the other soldiers asked and I was not prepared for what came next. She didn't make it. Everyone in the tent burst into tears, grown men crying out loud. We all were. This was truly one of the worst nights of my life. We held a memorial service for her, and again, we were on the front row. It was so surreal. About a week earlier, she was standing in this very spot, glowing and getting baptized, and now we were looking at her boots and helmet. I had so many unanswered questions and no one to turn to for answers. Why did I get on that truck? She said she would go if I went. If I hadn't gone, she'd still be alive. Why didn't I stay in the seat? Had I been in the seat, she'd still be alive. Why did she say that she was dying? How do you know when you're dying? What does it feel like? Why did she leave that part in her letter that she would be home for her birthday after I told her to remove it? Why didn't I hug her after she got baptized? What I wouldn't give now for a hug from her. Why did she say the grill would hit me? Why didn't I want to hear what happened to her? Was I as good of a friend to her as I felt she was to me? So many unanswered questions. A few years ago, I woke up on a Monday morning with a dull pain in my stomach. 
The pain intensified every couple of hours, so I decided to go to the emergency room. They checked me out, gave me some IV fluids, and sent me home. I asked for pain medication, but they did not give me any. Now, anyone who really knows me knows I don't do pain medication. My husband was shocked that I even asked. I came home crying and in pain. I called back to the emergency room and the nurse said, Baby, if you're in that much pain, you shouldn't have left. It took me 12 hours to get to the bathroom, take a shower, and return to the hospital. The pain was almost unbearable. I'd become delusional at this point. I believed I was in labor. Never mind the fact that my tubes had been tied for over five years. Again, I was sent home. But this time, they gave me an over-the-counter pain pill as I departed. When I got home, I just had this feeling that I wouldn't last much longer. I actually felt like I was dying. Right there. God had just answered a question that I had for years. Why would my friend say she was dying? How did it feel? Immediately, I knew I had to get back to the hospital. Something clicked inside of me at that moment. I realized I am important. I am worthy of love. And my life is worth fighting for. No longer would I sit on the sidelines of my life and not be an active participant. Back at the hospital, I explained my symptoms to a third triage nurse. I believed God placed an angel beside this nurse in the form of another triage nurse who was working on another patient at the time. When he heard my responses to the routine questions, he instantly knew what the problem was and stepped in. This angel gently touched my back and said, we're gonna make sure you're all better when you leave here. <laughs> in less than 15 minutes, I was in surgery for a ruptured appendix. This experience was the beginning of a healing process for me in so many ways. There comes a time when you have to turn to and completely trust God. I had to stop looking for answers to the questions and trust that God would provide them in His timing. Just let go and let God. Do I miss my friend? <laughs> Absolutely. I miss her today as much as I did when she first passed away. It's only the tough days that I know where my help cometh from. I know I am here for a reason. He kept me in the midst of it all. I can look back and see the one footprint in the sand, and I know for sure those were the times he was carrying me. This is an example of how survivor's guilt can manifest for years afterwards in veterans who experienced the trauma of combat and the loss of a battle buddy. Well, I want readers to know at the end of the day, we're all just women. We're spouses, we're mothers, sisters, daughters, we're aunts, friends, and we're career women who love our families and our career path that we've chosen for ourselves. Whether we've made the military a career or served for a few years, we want to achieve success just like any other career woman. We want to be rewarded for our hard work and we want to be acknowledged as good leaders. 
And like our male veteran counterparts, we want to be thanked for our service and our sacrifice for our country. When you think of them, think of us too. I do believe it's getting better though, in terms of acknowledging us. And that's mainly due to women sharing their stories, really. In their own voices, their own experiences. And I like to think that Camouflage Sisters has something to do with that, to make it acceptable, to normalize it, and to give women the courage to share their own stories of service. And lastly, our stories and experiences just happen to be tied to our military careers, but anyone and everyone can relate to them. So we encourage readers to grab a book and be ready to be inspired. To hear more of these stories, you can check out my book series, Camouflage Sisters. You'll find the link in the show notes.